I want to welcome you into the Sunday preaching podcast of the Point Church located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Will you go there with me? Uh, We took a little break from our study in Hebrews for an evangelism Sunday, Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday, and now we're back into Hebrews, and we're going to finish it up over the next few weeks. If you're a guest today, I am so glad you're here. I hope that you feel at home here at our church, that you feel warmly welcome. Uh, We uh, are a Bible church, Uh, We are a Baptist church, but we're a Bible church, most importantly, and week by week, we believe in the importance of getting in the Scripture and reading it and studying it, and so we have gone verse by verse uh, in the book of Hebrews, and we find ourselves in the 11th chapter. Uh, We're getting very close to the end of the book, and uh, we'll be going a different direction for the summer, Uh, but there's some really good stuff in 11, 12, and 13, and so I hope that you'll be here. Uh, By the way, I... Now, there was someone in the service last week. I don't know if they're here today. If you are, you'll recognize yourself when I say this. Uh, but had just visited our church last Sunday for the first time, and I directed them to our church website uh, to go back. All of the sermons in the book of Hebrews uh, are on there. You can go back and catch up if you want to. Uh, I had no idea what God was going to do in my heart as I studied the book of Hebrews. Uh, if you would have asked me, hey, what's your favorite book? I, I probably would have said James Uh, maybe Romans, Uh, but now Hebrews is right up there, all right, Uh, with those two in my top three. There's so much in here, and and people often ask, you know, what's the significance of the Old Testament with the New? Uh, If you want to connect it together, then study the book of Hebrews. You'll learn so much about what God was doing in the Old Testament saints and now doing in the New Testament church, and I have been blessed thoroughly and uh, look forward to finishing this up with you over the next few weeks. Now, Joe read a bunch of verses a few minutes ago, and I don't want you to get nervous, okay? I'm not going to walk through every verse in chapter 11. As Pastor Josh and I, which incidentally, uh, we have your guests. We have another campus over in Alberta, Alabama. Last Sunday for Easter, they had 185 in their services over there. That campus just continues to grow. We praise God for that. But as Pastor Josh and I got together and we were looking at Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we felt like the best thing to do was to approach it as a summary because, man, we could preach a whole bunch of messages uh, from each one of these characters. I want to encourage you as a homework assignment uh, to take a little time and walk through Hebrews chapter 11 and go back to the Old Testament and read the stories of the different people, the men and the women uh, that are mentioned in this chapter. So what I want you to do is is have your Bible open. Uh, Each verse is not going to be back up on the screen, so get your phone out or your your Bible, and I'm going to allude to certain things, walk through this chapter, kind of give you a summary, and uh, try to tie it all together. I have read Hebrews chapter 11 uh, many times through the years in my Christian walk. I think when you and I read it, we look at it as uh, superheroes or super Christians in the Bible. As I've been reading it over the last few weeks, it stood out to me about their humanity. Uh, Remember this, uh, every person that has 
lived on the face of the earth is flesh and blood, and there's only one that's ever lived on this earth that was perfect, and that was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you think about each one of these stories and all the events that happen uh, in their lives, you, you have to think that some of them might have paused for just a moment when God told them to move or to act. You have to just think somebody said, God, you want me to do what? How many of you have ever felt that way in your Christian life? Sometimes it's just as simple as something that's in black and white, all right, that God says to us here in his word, do this or, or be obedient in this area, and we look at it and we go, man, that's gonna be really hard to do. Sometimes God prompts our heart, and he says, I, I want you to do this. I want you to surrender uh, to this ministry, or I've got a task that I want you to accomplish. And sometimes in our flesh, it's hard to say, yes, Lord, I'm ready to do that. What we learn about faith in the Bible is that it is trusting God and believing in him that he knows what's best and that he is simply calling us to obey him and to trust him. Now, how many of you have had someone say to you at some point in your life, you just need to trust the Lord? You just need to trust the Lord. How many of you have found, now we're, we're honest here at this church, how many of you found your flesh feeling that being problematic in the moment? You got a mess on your hand, you got something that needs to be fixed, you've got a decision that needs to be made, and somebody says, well, you just need to trust God. What, what we feel is, if I can get my hands on this, or if I can talk to someone, and, and I can fix this. When many times God is saying, I want you to take your hands off of it and realize that I'm in control, what I want you to do is to trust me. Now hear me today, as people of faith, we will battle our fear alongside our faith. Many times, our fear is directly connected to that thing that God has asked us to do. Now, look in your Bible with me if you would. When I finished up a few weeks ago, we saw that Abel was a man who had faith and he exhibited it by his heart was right in the sacrifice that he offered to the Lord. Enoch was translated up. He was caught up to be with the Lord. Genesis tells us that Enoch walked with the Lord and it pleased the Lord so much so uh, that at the age of 365, uh, he called him on to heaven. Today we saw, as Joe was reading, the story of Noah from the Old Testament that we learned as children in Sunday school. God told Noah, Noah, I want you to build a great big old boat because it's gonna start raining and I'm gonna flood the earth. Guess what? Noah believed God and he did exactly what God asked him to do. While he was building that boat, he was ridiculed, he was questioned, he was made fun of, but yet he remained faithful to God and by faith he built that boat which led him and his family to floating on the water for 150 days. Next we see Abraham. Abraham, God visited him and said, Abraham, get up. I want you to head north. I'm not really telling you where you're going. I'm gonna lead you into a land. Uh, your seed is gonna be as numerous as the stars. I'm gonna give you a land. 
When he gets there, the text says that he didn't move into the mansion or the three-story house, but rather his family dwelt in tents, and they dwelt in a cave, we see in the Scripture as well. And so Abraham just obeyed God. It led him, in verse number 17 of your text, to going up on Mount Moriah. And he's standing there with uh, a knife in his hand. He's about to take the life of his son Isaac, who is uh, the blessing. The next verse is Sarah, of course. The blessing of Sarah is Isaac. But here's Abraham. He's about to take his own son's life, and God provides a ram in the bushes to be the sacrifice. What a great act of faith. He got right up to the moment, but his faith showed that he was trusting in God. Now, verse number 11 is a little bit of a question. When God told Sarah, you're going to have Isaac, the Scripture says that she laughed out loud. She thought it was hilarious, right? Because of her age, how old she was. The text even says that Abraham was, was as good as dead. That means he was an old man, and they were both beyond childbearing years. Uh, but God gave them Isaac the son, and we see in the Scripture when Isaac uh, is born that Sarah actually says, God, you got the last laugh, right? And so she acknowledged the work of God in her life. Isaac blessed his sons. He blessed his sons pointing to the future by faith. The same thing with Jacob, especially in that he blessed Ephraim and Manasseh. How about Joseph? We find him in Genesis 37 toward the end of the book. It says at the end of his life, he specifically said, don't put my box, my body, my casket, don't bury it in the ground here in Egypt. I want you to take my bones to the promised land and bury me there. It shows that Joseph had great faith that God was going to do what he said he would do. How about verse 23? Moses, great patriarch of the faith, uh, who was born, placed in a basket, floated down the Nile River, and lo and behold, in the sovereign hand of God, he finds himself in royalty, uh, living in the royal palace. But yet God had a plan for Moses, and Moses chose rather to deny himself the royal privileges in order to be obedient and do what God wanted him to do, which included walking up to Pharaoh and pointing his finger at him and saying, let God's people go. He led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He brought them to the Red Sea. They're surrounded by the Egyptians by faith, and God parts the Red Sea, and they walk across on dry land, and the Egyptians were swallowed up. The text also says that by faith, he celebrated the Passover. Next, we see the walls of Jericho. Been to Jericho a couple of times. You can't help but riding into the town. Think about what happened in the book of Joshua, right? As the people of God marched around uh, the walls for seven days, on the seventh day, seven times, they began to blow the trumpet, and the walls came tumbling down. That happened, the writer of Hebrews says, by faith. There was only one section of that wall, though, that did not fall. Up on top, there was a prostitute, a Gentile woman by the name of Rahab, who worshiped the Canaanite gods. In that moment, she rejected them, and she hid the spies upon her roof. And God said, because of her action, I want her to be included here in Hebrews chapter 11. Next, we see a list of quick names where the writer says, you know what, I've got so many people that belong in this chapter, but I need to mention Gideon. 
How many of you folks in the military know that Gideon would be relieved of his duties if if the army was going into battle and you've got 32,000 trained soldiers and he finds a way to whittle it down to 300? It's not a real good plan, is it? It doesn't make any sense, humanly speaking. But, But here's what you and I know. There's a big difference between man's plans and God's plans. That's why the songwriter wrote many years ago, little is much when God is in it. And Gideon whittles that group down to 300, and they go and they defeat the Midianites by faith. Barak, the military commander in Judges chapter 5, who had a great victory over Sisera, the Canaanite commander. Samson, in his blindness, who pushed down the pillars, and he defeated the Philistines. Jephthah, who was the king that defeated the Ammonites. David is mentioned there, so many stories from David's life, none of which is greater than the day he stared down Goliath, who was defying the armies of God, and he told Goliath, my God is bigger than you, and he slew the giant that day. Samuel is mentioned here, who was the last of the prophets and the first of the judges. The prophets in general were mentioned because many of them just declared and spoke the truth of God. Many times, it was a word of judgment. They had backlash, but they were willing to do what God commanded them to do in spite of the response. Notice in verse number 33, uh, the writer talks about those who, by faith, conquered kingdoms. They subdued other kingdoms. David, Joshua, Asa, Jehoshaphat, King Hezekiah, King Josiah are some that that would fit. They enforced justice. Elijah, Elisha, King Josiah obtained promises. Some of those were Caleb and Gideon and Barak. How about stop the mouth of lions? Anybody recognize that statement? Your mind automatically goes to who? Goes to Daniel in the lion's den, right, where he prayed and prayed. He's thrown in the lion's den, and God shut the mouths of lions. But I remind you that King David had some encounters with lions, as well as there's a man named Benaniah in the Old Testament. The Scripture says that he went down in the pit with a lion on a snowy day, and God delivered him from that moment. Verse 33, moving quickly, those who quenched the power of the fire. You recognize that as the story you learned in Sunday school, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would not bow down to the false god. They were thrown into the fiery furnace, and not one thread of their clothing was singed or even had smoke in it. Several of the prophets escaped the sword, David, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah. There were many in the Old Testament who received strength from their weakness. We know that from Samson, even in his blindness. We know that from Sarah, again, because of her age, and Gideon, and Abraham, and Esther, and King Hezekiah. There were several leaders in the Old Testament who were mighty in war, whose foreign enemies were sent to flight. There are two specific women in the Old Testament who experienced resurrection, as it says in verse number 35, women who received back their dead by resurrection. That would be the widow of Zarephath, whose son was raised to life, and then the Shunanite woman. There's an interesting statement. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. That's an interesting phrase, and scholars banter about that, and most land on this There's a man mentioned in the second book of Maccabees, which is not in our Bible, not an inspired book, 
But there's a man named Eliezer who at the age of 90 was in prison. He was being tortured, and he was about to be martyred, and they offered for him to be released. Now get this. They said to him, we will let you go if you will eat pork. Now, how many of you would have just put a little barbecue sauce on there and said, hey, I want to live? But here's the story of Eliezer. He said, nope, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm going to stay faithful. And so he was not released. How about those that were stoned to death? In the Old Testament, we see Zechariah was the only prophet that was stoned to death, but Jewish tradition tells us Jeremiah was stoned as well. How about the one that was sown in two? That is referring to Isaiah who was cut in half by the sword under King Manasseh. Notice that these people of faith, they are people who went about in skins of sheep and goats. They were destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Now, now church, there's a message real quick here for us today. These saints of God did not live lives of luxury. Many of them had just enough to survive. Oh, Please don't fall into the trap today of of hearing this fake gospel. If you come to Christ, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You're going to have stuff. You're going to be rich. You're going to be blessed and highly favored with materialism. Well, how about in the hall of faith in your Bible, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that many of them were nomadic. They dwelt in the wilderness. They lived in caves. They had sheep and goat skin. They lived in destitution. They were afflicted. Some say maybe that this refers uh, to Elijah and Elisha as well. But look in your Bible in verse 38. I love this phrase. Of whom the world was not worthy. The writer of Hebrews says, all of these people that I've just mentioned, the world didn't deserve them. In other words, they were great people. They made a great impact. They made a difference. Even though they were wanderers, They were great people of faith. Verse 39, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now look at me. When we think about great faith, we think about the Old Testament saints. No, they were not looking forward to the cross, okay? Don't fall into that mindset. They were not wondering, hey, when is our Messiah going to be crucified on the cross? They weren't doing that. As a matter of fact, right up to the time of the crucifixion, it says the disciples were arguing with Jesus about the crucifixion, and they said, no, we're not going to let that happen to you. That is not, you're not going to be crucified. They did not understand the complete fulfillment of God's plan, but they're, they're moving forward by faith, and twice in this text, it says that they did not experience the full, complete promise of God. I want to show you today how blessed and how privileged you are. Here we are on this side of the cross 2,000 years later, and now we look back on Calvary. And now you and I have 66 books in a Bible, a historical record of our God and our redemption, his interaction with men and women, his faithfulness, just like this chapter. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying to his audience there, again, in about the 60s, is that you are so blessed in that we have a 
a fulfillment, a better way, a fulfillment of the promise. God has provided something better for us. What is that something better? You and I can look back and see the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption on the cross. And now by faith, we move forward trusting him. Now, we've looked again, this is the second sermon in this chapter, but, but we've looked at this matter of faith. And I wanna, I wanna just real quick summarize all this for you about what we learn about faith. Pistes is the word, trusting, believing. What do we learn about faith in Hebrews chapter 11? Here it is real quick, you ready? Number one, faith looks to the future. Faith looks to the future. Verse number one, the things hoped for the things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You even see in verses 13 to 16 that all these that died, they are looking forward. It says that Abraham is looking forward to the city whose foundation is made by God. You see heaven very clearly in verses 15 and 16. They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, what's amazing about those verses is that in the Old Testament, I said this last Sunday, there's not a lot of development about the afterlife, okay? There certainly is a reference to living beyond the grave. We saw that last Sunday in Psalm 16. David said, God, you're not going to abandon me in Sheol, Uh, That's not the end. There's something after this life. But here you and I are today, and we have a Bible that describes for us that eternal place called heaven. That's why we sing, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Now, yes, we stand here, sit here today in faith in Christ, but we know there's coming a day when our faith is going to be completed, when our faith is going to be sight. We're going to see our Lord and Savior face to face for the first time. Now, hear me for just a moment. That does not mean that we don't look to the past. One of the great sources of strength for my own life is to be able to pick up the Bible and read chapters like Hebrews chapter 11. And when you read it, you don't really say, man, all these awesome people, as much as you say how faithful our God is. God has done some amazing things. So as you read the Bible, your faith is strengthened. Your faith increases. But in my own life, the second thing that I gain strength from is my own personal testimony to see how God has brought me from where I've been to where I'm at. How many of you have experienced the faithfulness of God? How many of you can look back time and time again, even at times when you weren't faithful to him, he was faithful to you? And he brought you through a season. He brought you through a hardship. He, he brought you through a difficult moment. And as we're walking this journey step by step and issue by issue and crisis and, and so many twists and turns, we know that our faith is always pointing forward because our faith will be completed when we're with the Lord. I want to ask you today, Christian, what are you trusting God for today? What are you trusting God for in this moment? What is it maybe that God has asked you to do? You're still here. You're breathing. 
You're living on this earth, and God has asked you to do something, and you're just not doing it. How about our faith as Christians, believers, as we point to the future? You know, the Bible says that while we're here on this earth, we're supposed to contend for the faith. We're supposed to stand for the the doctrinal belief, the body of faith that we find in the Word of God. How many of you know that's just getting more and more challenging? I heard last night, I heard last night of a couple different churches that have split in recent days over the battle of the Word of God. And let me say that, let me add to that two things. Number one, I praise God for every Christian that says, no, I'm not going along to get along. I'm going to believe the book. I'm going to stand on the Bible. The second thing I want to tell you is this. If you have friends and family, acquaintances, that they're attending a church that does not believe the Bible is the Word of God, then you need to speak up and tell them to get out. Because the repercussions of that is you're going to be sending your kids and your teenagers to youth group, and they're going to hear that the sun really didn't stand still. And they're going to hear that there's more than one way to God. And they're going to hear that we shouldn't judge people when the Word of God is very clear. We're in a day where we're going to have to decide as we look to the future, are we going going to stand for the truth? Are we going to be faithful to our God right into eternity? Tim Keller back in 2013 was at a faith forum, and he said this, what is changing is for the first time in history, there's a growing group of people who think the Bible is bad. It's dangerous, it's aggressive, it's a bad cultural force. And now, of course, the devout suddenly realize that they are out there, that the umbrella is gone, and that they are taking a lot of flack for their views. Now, I I, I totally agree with what he's saying. The question for us is, will we remain faithful to our faith even when we receive flack? But I also must remind you that it is nothing new Noah was taking flack every nail he drove into the ark. Moses spent his life taking flack, (laughs) leading the people of God in the wilderness. Flack is nothing new, but I'm going to tell you, the flack is intensifying. It's intensifying. And the question is, will we remain faithful? Will we be faithful and focused in the future? That's what verse 10 and verse 13 says in the text. They were looking forward even though They did not see the fulfillment of their promise. Number two, notice that faith cannot be separated from obedience. Faith cannot be separated from obedience. I'm afraid, now hear me for just a minute. I'm afraid in the church we have created this this environment or this mentality that I can trust in the Lord for my salvation, but I can do what I want to do with my time and my life. I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus, and Jesus, I'll check in with you every now and then, but I'm going to be over here doing my thing. I've been here 17 years, and I preached over and over and over again that you cannot separate belief and behavior. You can't separate uh, belief and behavior. In, in 19, I'm sorry, in 1886, Ira Sankey was at a D.L. Moody crusade up in Massachusetts, And at the end of one service one night, they were sitting around, and this young man stood up, and he said these words. He said, I'm not quite sure, but I'm just going to trust and obey. I'm not quite sure, 
but I'm going to trust and obey. And Ira Sankey heard that, and he grabbed a pen and a piece of paper, and he wrote that down. And he sent that over to a Presbyterian pastor friend of his named John Samus. And John, Pastor John, was sitting there looking at that phrase and thinking it through. And he says, the Lord let him to sit down and write the hymn that we've been singing in churches for over 100 years. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way while we do his good will. He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And then in his last verse, he said, then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says, we will do. Where he sends, we will go. Never fear. Only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You cannot trust and then not obey. It's God's will. It's God's plan. God did not send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to suffer what he suffered on the cross on this earth for you just to have fire insurance to get to heaven. He saves you to serve him. He saves you to obey him. Can you not see how many times these men and women in Hebrews chapter 11 said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but you want me to do what? And God says, yes, I want you to do that. You just trust me, you obey me, and I'll carry you through. Faith cannot be separated from our obedience. The third thing I see in this text is that faith, faith doesn't always equal immediate rewards. Just because you're obedient and you're faithful doesn't mean that you will see instantaneous results or success. How many of you know we are in an instant success society? We're in a microwave world. I heard someone say the other day, one of the problems we've had in the church is that we viewed discipleship as microwave instead of viewing it as crockpot. I thought that's pretty good. Slow. It takes time to grow. But we want everything overnight, right? I mean, we want, instant, we want a witness to someone, and we want them to have an Apostle Paul road to Damascus moment. I mean, we want to witness to someone, and we want to be able to say, man, I've had five people trust Christ. Anybody in your journey learned that it doesn't happen that way many times? Pastor Scott stood right here. He's in Jerusalem today at his church, the Christian church there that he pastors. He stood right there just about three weeks ago and said to us, it takes about seven years before a Jewish person can accept and realize and understand the gospel. The average is about seven years. That's their testimony of how long it takes before they come to Christ. You know, when I hear things like that, I wonder, man, I know me, I'd probably give up, right? You witness to someone, you say, man, they didn't get saved. I don't know if they ever will get saved. When, when, when in my journey as a pastor, one of the greatest things in my life was when I realized that the results does not rest upon me. 
doesn't rest upon me. What God has asked me to do is to be faithful, to be faithful. Now, uh, Lexi got her report card the other day, and one of the things she likes to do when she miraculously makes an A, I'm only kidding, baby. How many of you know that Krispy Kreme donut will give you a donut for every A that you make? Yeah, so that's why I'm cheering for her. I need her to get six A's so I can have four donuts and she can have two, right? But there's that instant reward. Let's get that report card and let's go get us a donut, right? And that's all great and good. I'm not knocking that. I think it's awesome. You know, I remember my grandmother when I was growing up. She'd say, no, Tim, Tim, if you'll sit up and behave in church, I'll get you a happy meal afterwards. Now, I'm telling you, that was an incentive. I mean, that was an incentive to sit up and pay attention, all right? I'm not criticizing all that, but let's look at the big picture. The real reason we want Lexi to make some good grades is so that she can progress in school and she can grow and she can develop as a person and maybe one day go to college or at least become gainfully employed so she can get out of the house. Those donuts are great in the moment. But there's a bigger picture here. There's something out there. Please hear me. That's what faith and obedience are all about. That's what it's all about. We're trusting, we're trusting in the Lord. We're being faithful right now. Zone in here with me. We're being faithful right now, and we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what kind of fruit in the kingdom is going to be born, but we're just going to trust the Lord. Dr. William Leslie in 1912 went to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. He felt like the Lord was touching his heart to be a medical missionary and to go there to Africa and give his life. And quite frankly, his testimony was that he went, he got there, and he spent 17 frustrating years. It was hard. It was difficult. He was way back in the bushes way back in some villages, in remote areas. The time he was there, he got very sick and almost died, and a, and a lady just nursed him back to health. He was so frustrated and so discouraged, he came back home after 17 years and felt like he had accomplished nothing. He passed away nine years later after he got back home. Fast forward 100 years to 2010, there's a man by the name of Eric Ramsey with Tom Cox World Missions who had been doing a, a little bit of research about this particular area, and he discovered that maybe there was some exposure to Jesus, but he didn't feel like there was probably any fruit that had remained in this area, so he took a mission team there, and, and Mission Aviation Fellowship flew them two and a half hours in a little Cessna plane, and they landed, and they got out, and they hiked a mile, and then they had to find a way to, uh, to cross the Kwalai River, and then when they crossed the Kwalai River, they had to hike uh, backpack 10 miles up into these villages, and when they got there, they were not prepared. They were not prepared for what they were going to see. Over a 34-mile stretch, there was village after village after village of people and they said in each one of those villages, there was a church. And each village had a gospel choir. And they would walk miles and come together, and they would have sing-offs of songs that they had written. 
They got to one village and they discovered a 1,000 seat stone cathedral. Later he found out in the 1980s, there were so many people coming to that one location. They said, this is just not working. We need to start a church planning movement. And they began to plant churches in village after village after village after village. While he was there, he spoke with some of the older tribal leaders, and all they could tell him was about this man that had come a century before, and nobody ever really even knew his name. They had some makeup name that they called him. He kept digging, he kept researching, he got back, he dug deeper. And here's what he found out. He found out that Dr. Leslie was the man who sparked, that God used to spark that great movement of God. He was connected to the same mission agency as Adoniram Judson. Here's a man who for 17 years poured his life into this area. And he got on a plane and he came home discouraged and defeated. And to this very day, the church of the living God is going strong in the Republic of the Congo. Is that not amazing? Now, you and I are called to sow the seeds, but we don't always get to pick the fruit. When you're serving the Lord, trust me, most of the time, you're not going to get your picture taken for it. They're not going to write an article about you in a Christian publication. How many of you know that's not the reward we seek anyway? What God has called us to do is to be faithful. Christian, you may not see immediate results in your witnessing that family member that you're praying for, that coworker that you're witnessing to. You may have been doing it for years. I mentioned Miss Isabel. I don't know if she's in here. I mentioned her a few weeks ago. Miss Isabel Smith had a man walk into her office every Friday for four years and invite her to church, and she couldn't wait to tell him no. Four years. He had an incentive, though. He was coming to get his paycheck, right? And one Friday, he walked in, and she looked at him, and she said, I'm going to church with you, son. And she went to church, and she got saved. She got saved. Church, I'm just reminding God is at work. God is at work. Don't become frustrated. Don't become weary in well-doing. Just remain faithful and know that it is God. It is God that produces the fruit. Let me finish. Last thing. You've been waiting on this, right? The last thing. The last thing I see in the text is that great faith, faithfulness to the Lord, it does not mean that we are faultless. It doesn't mean you're going to be faultless. Now, listen to me for just a minute. When I read through these stories of the people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to tell you something. Some of them made a mess in life. They made a big mess. There's flaws. There's just sin. There's doubt. There's confusion. There's fear in these men and women. There are some people who have strong faith, but you remember every single person on the face of the earth is nothing but a flesh tank, capable of anything. We see Noah building the big ark. 
And then we see Noah in just a short amount of time drunk and committing incest with his daughters. We see David, that great king, who the rabbis gather around his tomb every day and read the Torah, the great man David. David was an adulterer, and then he committed murder to cover it up. Moses, God, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to speak to Pharaoh. God, I don't speak well. I'm not eloquent of speech. How about Moses murdered the man in the desert, right? How about Abraham? How about Sarah when they lied about their relationship? How about Samson when he sinned with Delilah, lost his eyesight? I could go on and on and on. Do you get the point? Do you get the point? Some of you maybe have allowed Satan to defeat you, to press you down, and to say, you know what? You're not worthy. God can't use you. You you did this. Man, I'm so glad today that God doesn't throw our past up in our face. When we repent, he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west into the depths of the sea, never to remember it against us again. It's not Christ, it's the enemy that says, you're worthless, God can't use you. Oh, friend, God uses us in spite of ourselves. God uses us through our brokenness. Many times he uses that brokenness to advance his kingdom. I love what Peter O'Brien said. He said, faith is the response of all who are conscious of their own weakness and accordingly look to God for strength. Is that anybody in the house today? Anybody, you're you're constantly aware of your own weakness? I am. And we run to God for our strength. That's what faith is. I love what John Calvin said. As you think about all these great people in the Bible who, who had a lot of great mishaps and disobedience and sin. John Calvin said, "If every in every saint, there's always to be found something reprehensible. Nevertheless, although faith may be imperfect and incomplete, it does not cease to be approved by God. There is no reason, therefore, why the fault from which we labor should break us or discourage us, provided we go on by faith in the race of our calling. What is he saying there? He's saying that when we fail, God's not finished with us. That we pick up and we move forward in the calling that God has upon our life. That even when we fail, God is faithful. Twilia Newbill in her book, Faith and Fear, she said, you and I have to fight to remember the faithfulness of our Father when we are faced with great fears of the future. God is faithful. What he wants us to do is Trust him and obey him. Do you see how trust and obey go together? You can't say, God, I trust you. And please hear me, and I'm gonna land the plane. We think of building an ark. We think of crossing the Red Sea. We think of great faith to build a great church or to do a great mission work. How about this? How about our faith leads us to obey in the little things? God may not be calling you today to go to the Democratic Republic of the Congo, but God may be calling you today, sir, to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And it's a matter of obedience. 
Mom and dad, God may not be calling you today to, to quit your job and to move to the Far East on the mission field, but God may be calling you today to disciple your children, to be obedient. God may not be calling you today to be the next Adoniram Judson, but God is calling you today to go witness to your neighbor or your coworker. How about this? God may not be calling you today to preach the gospel. I wished he would. As a matter of fact, if I could pause there for just a minute and say, you know, I'm burdening my heart that I don't hear more today of people surrendering to, to preach or to go to the mission field or, or, or do certain things in the kingdom. I'm burdened about that. God may not be calling you to do that today, but he may be calling you to forgive someone. You want me to do what? Yep, I want you to do that. I want you to forgive. After all, I've forgiven you of much. What I want you to do is trust me and obey me, and I'll take care of the rest. William Carey, the father of modern missions, is known for saying this. I love this. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. If you're expecting God to do great things, if you, listen, hear me. If we're really expecting God to turn our community upside down, then we got to be ready to attempt some great things for him because that's his plan. That's how he uses us, right? So if you're expecting great things from God in your life, you got to step forward in faith and obedience and attempt great things for him. God, you want me to do what? I'm not the Holy Spirit in your life today. I have the Holy Spirit in my life speaking to me, but I know this, the word of God never returns void. And I would just ask you, what is, what is God speaking to you about today in the matter of your faith and your trust and your obedience to him? And all God's people said, let's pray together.